Welcome to Coffee Break with Sharp Best Health. Every week, we sip on a strong new blend of practical tips, information, and education to help you optimize your health, body, and mind. Your hosts are Janice, Emily, Megan, and Olga. Your break starts now. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of A Coffee Break with Sharp Best Health. Here today, we have our entire Sharp Best Health team, Megan, Olga, Janice, and I'm Emily. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. So ever since we started our podcast, you all have been sending us your wonderful health and wellness questions. So today, we're going to try to tackle a few of them in sort of a Q&A style. And of course, in true Sharp Best Health fashion, we all have our cups of coffee in hand, (laughs) which leads us into our very first question, is coffee good or bad for you? So this is Janice. Um, We have over 20 years of reassuring research out there regarding Mm. coffee and its health benefits. And though many people still try to avoid caffeinated beverages, you know, because there are negative impacts too, um, in moderation, a few cups of coffee a day is perfectly safe and Mm -hmm. fine. Um, Some of the possible benefits of coffee include that the risk of type 2 diabetes is actually lower Mm. among those who um, drink coffee on the regular than those who don't drink it. Coffee may reduce the risk of developing gallstones as well, discourage the development of colon cancer, Mm. improve cognitive function. That's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It helps you to focus. Um, Reduces the risk of liver damage in people at a high risk for liver disease. Reduces the risk of Parkinson's disease. I thought that was interesting too. Caffeine, which is the coffee's main ingredient, is a mild addictive stimulant. And coffee has also been shown to improve endurance performance and long-duration physical activities. Mm-hmm. How many of you here do drink coffee before you work out? Oh, I do. You do? Always. Okay. Well, not maybe coffee itself, but maybe some an kind energy of drink. an energy right. drink. Okay. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, and coffee does have modest cardiovascular effects, such as increased heart rate and increased blood pressure. And I know that... To- to be a fact, well, I'm a tea drinker, but mm-hmm. also with the caffeine effects, it does increase your heart rate. So yeah. I was taking my blood pressure, and I noticed it was a little bit elevated. Well, guess what? Two hours ago, I had ah. just drinking tea. So there's caffeine there. Occasional regular heartbeat could be considered as well for drinking coffee. And also, too, this was an interesting one. High consumption of the unfiltered coffee, such as boiled um, coffee or espresso coffee, has been associated with mild elevations in cholesterol levels. Mm. Mild, mild improvements or mild uh, elevations, elevations, elevations in cholesterol levels, right? Oh, I'm in trouble. Mild, mild. Right, thanks, Olga. Um, And just to be mindful of the added calories that you may be consuming if you add caloric sweeteners and/or creamers. Right. Also, that. So this was credited to Harvard Health and also Blue Cross Blue Shield. So if information. So if you're getting frappuccino, macchiato, grande, whatever, with the (laughs) yeah, exactly. Then maybe all the potential benefits are kind of negated because of all that sugar and all these extra calories that you're consuming. But if you're drinking regular coffee and not going over overboard with it. With additional sweeteners. Maybe drinking it black. Yeah. So for, mm-hmm. And most people would be able to say that coffee is probably fine for them so with, the, with a couple of, yeah, with a couple of exceptions. Right. Okay. So interesting. 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 Thanks, Janice. You're welcome. Thank you, Janice. 
So question number two is all about how to fight insomnia. And this is a question that I actually asked the team if I could take on because this is something that is very near and dear to my heart. This is Megan speaking, by the way. I should be clear on that. And I am someone who comes from a whole family of people who have never had a good relationship to sleep. And I thought you'd say who had never slept. Oh, no, that would be... <laughs> no, I, I've definitely, I can definitely attest they do sleep from time to time. But it's it's a struggle. It's something that the whole family has dealt with. And right. it's something that I dealt with, too, for a long time. And so um, I wanted to kind of take people through sort of some best practices, some of the things that research says is a really good strategy for managing occasional insomnia. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if this is something that is an ongoing problem for people, the best recommendation It's always to begin that conversation with your primary care doctor, right? Um, But there is a lot of uh, great research out there. And just some of the things that have been said to make a meaningful difference in people's sleep habits is to, one, reduce exposure to blue light. Which I know seems strange. Oh, screen time. But think about your screen time. Think right. about if you're zoning out on your phone or right. tablet or TV. Mm-hmm. That emits a lot of blue light. And blue light, it's specifically is something that can uh, increase your um, alertness and make it harder to fall asleep. Uh, another thing just in general, uh, another light-related tip is to start to change uh, um, how much lighting there is around you in maybe an hour or so before you go to yeah. bed. Uh, that can help to actually kind of trigger your melatonin to start to produce and make you drowsier. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that uh, I strongly recommend, and this is what actually changed uh, my it changed my life. Yeah, I'll say that. Um, and my relationship to sleep was, you know, making sure that you're exercising. Right. I was someone who I haven't always exercised, and that was when I wasn't able to sleep. Mm-hmm. Starting to exercise yes, is something. It, it really produces a lot of benefits right. in helping you sleep. And I honestly think, um, and I probably shouldn't admit this as the manager of a wellness program, but it's the way it supports me in sleeping is the probably what's kept me the most committed mm-hmm. to exercising. And I believe in that too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Another recommendation is to make sure that your house is fairly cool. The the ideal range is basically 65 degrees to 72 Mm -hmm. degrees. If you have it at that range, that generally produces better sleeping conditions and it's easier for people to fall fall asleep. And finally, the recommendation that I've seen a lot and the recommendation that I personally can attest to is to introduce meditation into your life. Yes. If you yes. uh, want to practice mindfulness, we talk mm-hmm. a lot about mindfulness here at Sharp Best Health. Mm-hmm. Um, even just taking a couple of deep intentional breaths before you try to lay your head down and fall asleep can make a significant difference. But particularly if you're someone that has a lot going through your mind, if you have a trouble, you know, shutting off your mind, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean, developing a meditation practice is a really good recommendation. And a final recommendation, actually I did have one more, is to uh, go to sharp.com, to our newsroom. Uh, there are some incredible, Olga's laughing at me, <laughs> there are some uh, there are some incredible uh, articles and really well-researched content out there that offers a wealth of advice around sleep health. Yes. So, you know, Sharp is um, a company that, you know, really cares about yeah. sleep health. And so you actually just have to go to our own newsroom to find a wealth of information. Mm-hmm. So I just want to encourage people to do that. Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking you were going to direct people to Sharp 
net uh-huh. to our will page oh. and mention will. Well, you know what? Okay, thank you, Olga. You're right. I would also recommend going onto SharpNet and searching will, W-H-I-L, mm-hmm. and that is our digital mindfulness yeah. and yoga platform that all employees have free access to. They have wonderful, wonderful programs dedicated exclusively to sleep. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great resources out there. So, yes, that was good. Um, watch team backup, as they say in the military, yeah. Olga. So, oh, thank you. Sorry. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Megan. That was wonderful. So our question number three mm-hmm. came from employees who were wondering about paleo diet and the keto diet. Right. Hot news right now. Yeah. And specifically the difference between those two. And this is Olga, by the way. So people often confuse those two diets. And it's not a surprise. Uh, the paleo diet and the keto diet, they they do have some similarities, mm-hmm. but there are some key factors that set them apart. So I'm just going to go quickly and highlight what each diet kind of represents, and then uh, we'll allow you to make your own decisions as far as which is maybe a good fit for you. Perfect. All right. So paleo diet or a caveman diet. Mm-hmm. If, <laughs> have you heard that term? I have. I have. Yeah. yeah. The hunters and gatherers. Yes, so it became very popular several years ago, and it basically calls for returning to how our ancestors ate thousands and thousands of years ago in the Paleolithic era. Right. That was a hard word to pronounce. (laughs) You got it. So the diet, the, uh, the caveman diet, basically ditches all modern foods, all the processed foods that just kind of came around 50 years ago. And it encourages you to go back to what our ancestors hunters and gatherers mm-hmm, ate. Right. So, and what they ate were lean meats, vegetables, fruits, yes. nuts and seeds, unprocessed oil, non-starchy vegetables. So not jack-in-the-box. So not jack-in-the-box. <laughs> yes. And even, yes, not jack-in-the-box. Natural sweeteners such as raw honey, agave sure. nectar, like maple syrup, all these things are allowed. Okay. So what's not allowed on the paleo diet are uh, all grains, no oh, grains. Wow. There were no grains back then. Plus, they didn't have pots, right, to cook the grains. Right. So why would they? Yeah. No grains of any kind, uh, legumes, dairy, refined sugars, any kind of refined oils are not allowed. Junk food is not oh, allowed, man. obviously. Sugar-sweetened beverages. Sure. So it kind of makes sense. You go back to what our great-great-great-great-mother, grandfather ate. Right. And keep it really simple. The other... Uh, kind of factor about the paleo diet is not just the foods, but it's it's almost like a a lifestyle. It's a movement within the paleo community. It's huge on uh, on this lifestyle change. It's like believing in that our bodies were not designed to process processed right. food and junk mm-hmm. food. So why would we eat those foods? Sure, that's interesting. Yeah, um, it has had some studies connected to the paleo diet and the studies that have been done suggest some potential health benefits such as improved glucose tolerance and help people with type 2 diabetes and improved glycemic control and even lower blood pressure for those who are on that diet. But you kind of think that makes sense if you start removing all this junk food and yeah. all these processed foods yeah. from your diet. You're kind of, you know, those health benefits are to follow. So right. It kind of right. makes sense. Yes. Um, so that was the paleo diet. So now let's talk about the keto diet. The keto diet has gained some popularity quite recently, yes. mostly due to its 
promises of very rapid weight loss. Emily and I actually did a whole episode on the keto diet. If you go back to our archives, it was season three, episode eight, originally aired on March 25th. Thanks, Megan, for looking this up. You're very welcome. (laughs) But just in a nutshell, if you don't want to listen to the whole thing, keto diet is a way of eating where you're reducing your carbohydrates intake and your diet is very high fat, moderate protein, and very low carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. So, and the key to that diet is that by reducing your carbohydrates intake, you put your body into the state of metabolic ketosis. Right. And what it does in that state, your body starts producing ketones. And the ketones encourage your body to burn fat for energy mm-hmm. instead of glucose, which would normally come from carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. But since you don't have enough glucose, your body switch, uh, shifts you know, to start burning fat for energy, hence the, the weight loss. So on that diet, the micronutrient ratio is basically you're eating 60 to 80% of your diet should come from fats. About 15 to 35% should come from protein and 5 to 10% should come from carbohydrates. Okay. And just to give you a perspective, a small medium-sized potato is about 30 grams of carbohydrates, which is about about 10%. Oh, wow. So it's mm-hmm. very, very small amount of carbohydrates. And you have to be very strict because if you don't follow the rules and the ratio, you are not going to get in the state of ketosis, ketosis. which is the key. And you can get into a lot diet. of trouble too, potentially, depending yeah. on what kind of fats you're eating, right? Well, it, you have well, kind of. I mean, it's it, it's encouraged to to eat good fats, okay, yeah. healthy fats, yeah. but it, technically, it's not. It doesn't matter. You can as you just have to eat as much fat as possible, eighty percent of your diet. Wow. <laughs> so you are allowed to eat meats and all full fat dairy okay. and vegetables no fruit because fruit has a lot of sugar and a lot mm-hmm. of carbohydrates you're not allowed to eat not one for me yeah you're not allowed to much. eat processed food any starchy vegetables gluten grains legumes any kind of sugar is basically even fruit so which would be really tough so one of the main reasons that diet has gained popularity is because it it does lead to a very rapid mm-hmm. weight loss. And it, recent studies have suggested that it does help patients with type 2 diabetes okay. to help them regulate their blood sugar. Um, and it has been studied is, even as a therapy for conditions such as cancer, Parkinson, Alzheimer's, and even some some sleep disorders. Okay. So bottom line, like with any anything else, if you are curious about any of these diets, if you want to try it, Please consult your yes. primary care provider or a nutritionist right. to decide whether this lifestyle is for you. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Awesome. Info. Great, great, great information. Overview. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. You. So I'll tackle our fourth question, which was about artificial sweeteners and whether they are good for you or bad for you. So I want to preface this whole conversation that we actually have a blog post out. Um, it's called Sweeteners and Sugars 101. We'll actually link it in the show notes so you can read through. And the reason why we wrote it is we know there's a lot of information about different sugars that are out there, a lot of conflicting information. So this blog post really goes into just sharing the facts about each different type of sugar. But for the purpose of today's question, 
In terms of artificial sweeteners, so when we talk about artificial sweeteners, we're talking about things like aspartame, saccharin, sucralose. So in the packets, you might see them as sweet and low or Splenda. So just so you know, these are chemically derived sweeteners and they contain very little calories and they have a zero glycemic index. So these sweeteners are found in foods and beverages that are sugar-free and diet products. They are between 200 and 1,000 times sweeter than sugar. So you'll typically use wow. very Holy little boy. of it. <laughs> because it's, yeah. Yeah, because it's so much trouble. Yeah. yeah, it's very concentrated. So it can stimulate appetite and, your, and increase your cravings. The reason why this happens is because when your tongue tastes the sweetness, but your body's not actually getting in any glucose, you sort of have a mismatch in your brain. So your brain is thinking, hey, where's all the glucose that you just gave me, but you didn't actually give your body any glucose. So it kind of forces your body into this cycle of craving more sugar. So just be aware that it can lead to increased cravings for sugar. The thing about artificial sweeteners is because they are chemically derived, it won't cause tooth decay because there's not actually any sugar to cause tooth mm-hmm. decay. Right. Uh, there has been some studies done on it, not a lot, um, but in some of the rat studies, it has been linked to cancer, but please note that this hasn't been done in human studies, right. so mm-hmm. evidence is really inconclusive at this point because mm-hmm. rat studies are very different than human studies. Yeah. And the FDA has concluded that they are safe for consumption, but there really hasn't been enough time to determine if there's any long-term effects. So those are just sort of the high-level facts. When it comes down to the question if you should consume that or not, like everything at Sharp Best Health, this needs to be a choice that you make for yourself. But if you are interested in learning about the other types of sweeteners out there, Again, we encourage you to go check out that blog post because it really gives you sort of an in-depth look at each of the different styles of sugar. That's that's really great information. You know, one thing that I'll add to that, because we've had conversations a lot yeah. in our department over the years about... Um, about artificial sweeteners and sugar and, you know, what is the best thing to educate and share about them. And, you know, I think the the general consensus, let's just share all the facts and, you know, mm-hmm. empower our, our um, team members to decide. And one of the things that I think is worth noting is that the American Cancer Society came out and said that there is no, um, there is no confirmed link between cancer and humans uh, and artificial sweeteners. And I just wanted to kind of reiterate your point uh, mm-hmm. that you had made around the relationship between um, the cancer in the studies that have been done on rats mm-hmm. versus what hasn't been done yet on humans. Right. Uh, and I think that there's, that is all the reason in the world though, to right. kind of just give yourself pause and, you know, always can, you know, consider moderation as a strategy as these things Definitely. kind of continue to get studied. Definitely. That was just one thing that was going through my head because that was a big conversation for us in the department a couple of years back. Wasn't it, Olga? Once in a while. Yeah. It and comes up. Well, back then and once in a while it comes back. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was great. That was fascinating. Yeah. yeah. yeah thank, thank you. Emily. So thank you all who submitted your questions and your recommendations for our podcast topics. Now, we really love hearing from you and having the opportunity to help answer some of your questions. Yes, we do. 
And if you would like to submit a question, you know, you have something that you've been wondering mm -hmm. about or you have a topic that you would like to see us talk about, please email us. Our email is sharpbesthealth at sharp.com. You can find that email address in the show notes. And also in the show notes, again, all the resources that we talked mm -hmm. about today are in there so that you can learn a little bit more about the different topics. So thank you for listening and we will see you again soon. Yes. Bye, everyone. Bye, Bye, everyone. Download this episode and find more great information on health and wellness by visiting Sharp Best Health on Sharp Network.